Hi, and welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, for episode 243, Plan B rejoins me on the show. Now, Plan B is a regular guest on the show. In fact, his first two interviews were on my show. So those are episodes 67 and 86, for those of you interested. And in this show, we talk a little bit about why we believe demand for Bitcoin will skyrocket. And we talk a little bit about his thoughts on how the stock-to-flow and stock-to-flow cross-asset models are going. This show brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Bitcoin has emerged as a major player on the global stage. It's been significantly de-risked over the past year with major investors, institutions, and companies making big investments. A common way people get started is establishing their initial position with a one-time buy and then start dollar-cost averaging with automatic recurring buys. Swan Bitcoin was built to do just this. You can create a recurring purchase plan like $100 a week or $20 a day, and you can also make one-time buys if you want. Swan supports bank wires for larger amounts and ACH transfers for smaller one-time buys. Swan is available in all states and territories of the US, now including New York. Swan is the best place to send your friends and family when they're ready to start buying Bitcoin. Send them to swanbitcoin.com slash Levera and Swan will drop $10 of free Bitcoin in their account when they become a member. Lend at HodlHodl is a global Bitcoin-backed lending platform, so you can lend or borrow anonymously on your own terms in a peer-to-peer fashion. HodlHodl uses a secure and transparent collateral storage system using multi-signature for each deal. So this is a way to grow your savings and earn returns on your investments. So for example, if you have stable coins lying around such as USDT, you can create your offer and earn interest by lending on Lend at HodlHodl or The other way around, if you have Bitcoins and you need some liquidity, you can borrow stablecoins by putting up some Bitcoin as collateral without selling that Bitcoin and you can keep on hodling. So with HodlHodl's Lend platform, you set your own terms and you put up offers depending on how long you want to borrow or lend and interest rates. Go to lend.hodlhodl.com. Knox is a Bitcoin custodian dedicated to ensuring comprehensive insurance coverage for client assets. Much of what passes as insurance today isn't purchased for the sake of protection, but for pure marketing reasons. Knox believes insurance should exist to make fund recovery possible. No sharing coverage between customers. Knox takes a unique approach when it comes to purchasing insurance for customer assets. Coverage is set aside exclusively for every customer in a one-to-one capacity, all with a comprehensive policy covering a range of loss and theft events, including internal collusion. If you are a Bitcoin company, RIA, fund, trust, or family office, make sure to contact Knox to discuss Bitcoin custody and insurance. Plan B, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Stefan. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, so Plan B, it's been a little while since we spoke, and obviously uh, it's been a very exciting time in the Bitcoin space. So just for context for listeners, we are recording on the 14th of January, 2021. And you know, as I speak, the Bitcoin price is around uh, let me just check this it's about $36,188 in USD terms plan b can you just give us a bit of your thoughts on um just kind of where we are in the recent run up and the kind of the sentiment in the market we were actually at a place where uh, we joked we would be we went up <laughs> <laughs> we went up very fast from 10,000 straight to 40,000 and then uh, we crashed quote unquote to 30,000. And we have joked about this a lot of times when we were sub 10,000 or, or even at, at, at 20,000. But uh, hey, here, here we are. And I, I must say it is, um, it, for me, especially this is yeah, a fantastic place to be because the, uh, the, the model and the research that I've done seems to be 
uh, yeah, getting validated as we speak. It's 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 a bit too early to call, of course, and we're not at the levels we are expecting. But uh, hey, it sure it sure goes up, and it goes up at exactly the time that the model uh, predicts. Uh, that is right after the halving, or slowly after the halving, uh, towards uh, targets levels. So so yeah, very exciting time. So in terms of the models, so we've got two main ones to talk about and think about. So we have your, you know, the OG model, the S2F model, and we've also got the S2FX, the cross asset model. So in terms of performance against reality, how would you rate them, the two different ones? Yeah, and it's very well that you say that they're two different models. And maybe to give the listeners some context, and especially the new ones, because there's a lot of new people getting into the space. The first stock-to-flow model was created in 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 March 2019, and it was a time series model. So it looked at the Bitcoin price, and it looked at the stock-to-flow measure, which 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 is a a measure to quantify scarcity, and then. And there is a nice correlation between them and uh, well you can extra uh, extrapolate that into the future and then you get to a value that was then quite conservative uh, conservatively uh, estimated at 55,000 end of uh, 2021 and is later adjusted with new data uh, and other coin correction 100,000 uh, US dollars at the end of uh, 2021 so that's the first model the stock the original OG stock flow model uh, then a year later in April uh, 2020, the stock to flow X model, the cross asset model was made and and it was basically not a time series model anymore. So it, it was a model that also uses uh, the same stock to flow measure for scarcity and looks at market values, but then across different assets. So Bitcoin is one asset and I divided four phases, phase transitions and four phases within, the, within Bitcoin. But then it also includes in the in the model, so in the data and, and, and ultimately in the model parameters, the stock to flow and, and market value of other assets like gold, real estate, silver, diamonds. And, and that's what, what makes it very, yeah, uh, different from the stock to flow model originally, but also more robust, if you ask me. Uh, and well, important thing is that the price uh, prediction for end of 2021 is also a bit higher. Uh, it, it's 288 thousand dollars as an average price in that specific four-year period yeah and to be honest i um i like both models they're both my babies but if i had to choose i would i would choose for stock to flow x model because uh, it's not a time series model so it's more robust it's always better to have time out of the equation because uh, we'll get uh, maybe into that later but if you correlate to time series there is a big risk of um, them being and, and the correlation being spurious and that risk is less if you uh, don't have time series uh, yeah and the other big thing is that we can now interpolate instead of extrapolate if you have a time-based model uh, a time series model it can be the number of transactions can be the uh, the time itself it can be the number of uh, bitcoins in existence then yeah you have to uh, sort of you don't know what what the number of transactions in the future are and to base a prediction on top of that is is well uh, a risky thing it's uh, extrapolation it's uh, based on data that you don't have in your in your data set but with the stock to flow x model we have gold being at a higher stock to flow and real estate being at a higher stock to flow and higher value so we can actually 
interpolate within the data that is used to fit the model. And that is a very, very strong uh, argument uh, for this uh, StockFlowX model. Yeah. Okay. And so probably a good point also to discuss some of the critiques of the modeling. So um, the thing is, it the, it's kind of shifted over time, right? So there's been this, and I guess we're kind of talking about both the different models, but with the S2F, one of the interesting I guess, developments was this idea of co-integration, which then later it seems that part has now been shown that we can't apply the co-integration test. From your perspective, what does that mean? Does Does it essentially just mean we don't have the confidence that would have been provided by co-integration, but you believe that the model might still provide some high-level predictive power. Is that how you would summarize it, or how would you summarize it? A, b- a bit differently. But by the way, I, I got a lot of critique on the models, which I also uh, invited, because uh, I think the models are only getting better if, if they're if they're open-sourced and um, and discussed. So, yeah, the, the, and, and um, the point you mentioned about co-integration was one of the more interesting and very intelligent uh, dis- discussions. So I like that really much. It, own, it It's important to, to know that it only applies to the first model, so the time Time series, stock to flow, original stock to flow model, and not to the stock to flow X model. And what it basically says, or what it basically does, it's a measure that protects you or or, or gives you some certainty that it is not a spurious regression, not a spurious correlation, because there is always a risk that you find correlation, that there is no causation or no relationship at all. It's just a fake, fake correlation. That's always a risk. And let me be clear, that is still a risk. It could be the, the relation between stock to flow, scarcity, and value could be spurious, although every day that seems less likely, but um, <laughs> it, it is important to make that, uh, that point. Now, with co-integration, it's actually a test. And that test, if you apply it and it, it proves co-integration, then the um, less likely, but not certain, but it's less likely that the, the relationship, the correlation is spurious, is false. So there's a lot of probability that it is a, a casual causal uh, relation and a, uh, a correlation that you can use for uh, for making predictions. But the discussion was quite, quite interesting because um, it, it was actually held with a Dutch guy, an Australian guy, a German guy, and, and me. There were four people working on the same same data and the same uh, tests. And first, we, we all did the same tests, and the tests clearly showed co-integration. And, and co-integration means that the, uh, the series uh, stick together very closely. The, the story about the drunk and the dog were, was made. The drunk goes on the street to walk his dog. The dog is on the leash. Well, the, the drunk goes everywhere. The, the, the dog goes everywhere. But the distance between the drunk and the dog can never be mm-hmm. larger than the leash. Uh, and that's what you measure, the, the, the leash. They always they stick together. And actually, that's what you see, right, in the data. If you, if you, if you look at the uh, Bitcoin price, it sticks to the model. It tracks the model really, really close. Uh, and actually, if you, if you do the test, you also measure there is co-integration. But then uh, one of the guys, the German guy, said, well, but hey, one of the assumptions in the test is that both variables are stochastic and not deterministic. So they should be random and not predetermined. And of course, stock to flow is predetermined. So so we couldn't apply the test. So although the test showed co-integration, theoretically, we cannot, and practically, we, we cannot use it. But it, it clearly shows the, uh, the moving of the price around the model. The test also shows it, but we we, we cannot uh, we cannot use it so yeah that that was the end of it uh, right there 
you could say, okay, it's uh, we should use another test or develop another test because it it clearly it clearly sticks to the model, the price. But on the other hand, well, yeah, it uh, it's maybe best to be conservative and say that uh, there is no integration, and probably a relationship is spurious. So. That was the end of that discussion. On the other hand, if there's no co-integration, it doesn't mean there is no correlation. And the co-integration only works on time series models, so the original stock-to-flow model. By the time that the discussion was at its peak, I introduced the uh, the other model, the stock-to-flow cross-asset model. And there, of course, you see an even higher R-squared, an even higher uh, correlation and uh, we cannot apply the uh, co-integration test uh, over there. Yeah, that, that, was, that was a very interesting discussion at the time. One other interesting critique that I have seen in terms of the, so now we're talking about the cross-asset model, the S2FX model, is this idea that when we, basically the S2F multiples of different assets, like if there's a variance in, in one of those variables that goes into it, I think the, the argument is essentially that the S2F variable dominates that calculation and then that's what is driving a high R squared. How would you uh, uh, think about that kind of issue? I think that's true, and uh, we actually did some tests in the uh, stock-to-flow X model, but also for the stock-to-flow model. So to include other uh, input variables next to stock-to-flow, for example, the number of transactions or the time or uh, other variables. And it clearly shows what you already said, that whatever you you input into the model, the stock to flow is the main and dominant uh, force driving uh, driving the, pli- the price. And uh, that's the case with uh, both models. Yeah, I see. I guess that would just be a difficult thing if you were going to try to run that on other assets, right? Because we can see that with Bitcoin, but it's not like, hmm. <laughs> you, you, well, yeah. I mean, if you're going to try to run those other, like not the price calculation, but with other things on gold and property, that's a kind of a harder thing to do. I guess, theoretically, some of those numbers might be possible to create though, right? You mean the stock? Yeah, well, well, there's the different aspects. If if you do it on on uh, other coins, for example, you find no coin, uh, no correlation between stock to flow and uh, and price. You actually mm. find co-integration and correlation between the, the price of those altcoins and the price of uh, of Bitcoin, but not not between their own stock to flow and the and the price of those uh, those altcoins. If you look at uh, gold and and silver and other assets, uh, there are not much assets with a, a large stock to flow. With a stock to flow larger than say two, there's really not much there. Silver, gold, diamonds, real estate, maybe art. Art is a two, uh, mm-hmm. three trillion uh, market, but I don't have the data for that. I, I would be very happy to analyze it if somebody has the data, but uh, but that's about it, I guess. And uh, for example, if you look at gold, gold over the same period that I uh, that we have the Bitcoin data, so since two thousand nine, if we look at the stock to flow of gold and the and the market cap of gold, it. it it sort of stays the same. It, uh, it, it's very stable. And uh, I plotted it in some of the charts. It's the amount of movement in stock to flow of gold and the, the market price of gold. Is, it, if you plot it, it's within the, the, the small dots that I put in that, in that chart. So it, it, it's really stable. It's remarkable. Yeah, and I think you've also been uh, tweeting out recently, or maybe uh, just under a month ago, you were saying RIP to the idea of lengthening cycles and diminishing returns. So why was that? 
Yeah, that's one of the other models that's out there. And um, and actually, it's it's a model I looked before I had uh, stock to flow. Uh, it's it's basically the time model that a lot of guys are using, and that is, I think, for the first time used uh, or or published by a guy named uh, Trololo in 2014. And it. Well, yeah, it, it has this nice curve and, and it fits the model uh, or the, the price of Bitcoin very well. But uh, it, it, it tends to be not that stable. So it, it tends to be, um, uh, yeah, you have to adjust it every year to, to keep it fitted to the data. So the time model is is there, but it's it's also underestimating a little bit. And it doesn't, of course, give give credence to the to the. Uh, the step function that you see in the in the Bitcoin price, the, and that occurs after the halving. So if you use a time model, it's a first crude indication, and we all know we have all know seen the, those charts. But it's yeah, it, it it doesn't give any weight to the the halvings and and the uh, the very clear timing of price rise that you can you can see in the in the in the Bitcoin price that is around a year one and a half year after the halvings. Um, it's a nice model, but it's it's not it's a, maybe a step a starting point, but not a uh, very robust one. And now we're at it. I think it also underestimates a, bit, a, a little bit because if you look at this Doctor Flow X uh, model, you can clearly see that last period, last couple of years, the uh, Bitcoin price was a little bit underperforming to that model. So the the phase, if you will, the, the last four years was lower than the model uh, predicted, and that might be due to COVID. The last part of that four-year period was kind of low. But if you if you use only those that data, that time series data to fit the curves, then it 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 must be a bit a little bit lower than um, yeah. It, it must must track that lower data in in the last couple of months. So that that's one. And the other thing, and that's actually the main reason why I said uh, okay, the lengthening cycles and lower cycles theory is dead. If you track the prices. Without the model, just just look at the data. You you compare it to uh, what happened after 2016 halving and what happened after 2012 halving. You see that where the price now is right in the middle of those two historic price uh, uh, tracks, and uh, the diminishing cycle theory, diminishing uh, return theory, says it has to be lower. So it states that the next uh, peak will be later and lower than the uh, last. Uh, well, if if you look at it right now, it's obviously not the case. It's it's a bit early to call, I should say, but uh, we're we're smack in the middle of the last two. So yeah, doesn't look that way. Right. Yeah. And so I guess to clarify, that would mean that if, if the diminishing kind of idea is more like it would be at a you know the the cycle top would be less as a multiple than last time. Yes, and current price would be much lower than it is right now. I see. Yeah, yeah. And then, where if we compare something like, say, the stock to flow, and I, uh, I don't know. Um, so one of the Twitter bots by our friend Bitstein, he's got the S2F multiple, and it's got a really interesting chart where he's basically showing the actual price versus the model price. And right now, we're actually above the model price. So you know, actual, you know, it's like thirty-three thousand. Um, oh, sorry, thirty-six thousand. Um, versus. Uh, the model price right now is around twenty eight or twenty nine thousand. Um, so I guess, what's your view on that idea? Even though you know we don't have co integration and that's not part of it anymore, it's just interesting, I guess, 
to, to a person looking at that chart that you think, okay, it's really interesting that it's kind of staying inside that range. Now, I guess one critique that someone might be thinking is, oh, well, hang on, these guys with their charting and their modeling, and they keep changing the day, and you know, now it's 463 days and so on. How would you uh, think about that particular issue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the 463 days is, is, is a nice thing. I'll, I'll get to that later. But first of all, yeah, the, the fact that the model or the price tracks the model so well, it's, it's actually, it's magical to see. Also for me, I mean, you you, you make the model, you, you, you trust or you hope it will be right. But of course, the, the proof is in the pudding. And, uh, and now we see it happening. So it's, it's, it, it's, it's really magical to see it. I'm, I'm very happy about that. Uh, and well, we have to see whether it goes to the uh, 100k or 288k, or that we already have it, have had it. But uh, I'm I'm quite optimistic about the uh, 288k. Uh, that would be my my target. Um, yeah, about the 463 days. That's that's actually a, a, an improvement that was suggested uh, by uh, by Preston, and um, Preston and I, of course, uh, discuss the models a lot. And um, and uh, and also that that site Digitalic you mentioned the bot the Twitter bot of Bitstein which is which is a beautiful uh, thing and uh, Digitalic uh, has uh, has also real time charts on his uh, website um, and uh, well Preston said okay um, you have to ask him uh, himself because he he can tell it much better than I but he said okay we see. I see what you did there. You tar- you tried to keep the model as simple as possible, only to have the stock to flow as an input. But um, we also see from last two halvings that the effect, that the price effect, kicked in later. So there is a time lag in 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 price uh, going up after the halving, and we can model that if we just very uh, roughly. Uh, look at the last two halvings. We see that uh, the all-time high after the 2012 halving was about 13 months after the halving, and for the 2016 halving, that was about 17 months after the halving. Uh, so on average, there's 15 months from the halving to the all-time high. And if you uh, if you multiply that by the number of days. Which is uh, in a month, which is then uh, thirty and a half. You get very close to that uh, four six three uh, number, and and um, and that's how you calculate it. And 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 when you yeah when you uh, use that number, the fit will be even better than if you use only the stock to flow uh, variable, because you now have have um, yeah adjusted the, uh, the average the stock to flow. Um, over those 463 days and uh, yeah I think it's a very nice uh, addition and it tracks uh, even better yeah I certainly think it's really interesting that when you look at this chart that it just kind of seems to stay within these blue bands and there are times where it goes outside the dark blue band but it's still within the light blue band and so on it's just an interesting chart to look at Um, but I guess at at any point, I guess it depends how bullish you are, we are on Bitcoin. Obviously, all of us are—we're all bullish on Bitcoin. Uh, I wonder—is there because we we really don't know when any of these things break down, right? And when I say break down, I mean like break to the upside, right? Like it may just be that 
you know, enough people around the world wake up to Bitcoin, start buying it, and then just completely destroy all the models and just, you know, just completely blast through, right? And this would be more like a, as I was discussing uh, with Preston, the idea of the final cycle. So I wonder, uh, I guess, as you look at the landscape, what's your thoughts on that idea of, okay, you know, are we just going to, people just going to start front running the future cycles and just buy it all now? And are we going into a final cycle? Or the counter argument might be something like, well, see, it just, there's just not that many people who are woken up to Bitcoin and putting in enough of their portfolio into buying Bitcoin. So it just can't reflect yet. Yeah. Well, that's a very interesting discussion. I think we will be having that exact discussion for the next 12 to 18 months, uh, <laughs> at least. <laughs> so uh, it, it touches on a, a lot of interesting aspects, this, this final cycle discussion. And let me, let me uh, mention a few. Uh, one is the efficient market hypothesis, uh, which was also one of the critiques on my model, right? Uh, I think Nick Carter uh, wrote a nice piece about it. But uh, the efficient market uh, hypothesis says that uh, all the information that's publicly available should be reflected in the prices of assets. So uh, stock to flow is publicly available. The model is publicly available. Um, it, it, it should not be so easy to make money uh, as just to buy Bitcoin now, follow the model and, uh, and, and be rich. So um, it, the model cannot be. On the other hand, and and then we come to this to this front run uh, uh, argument. If now we see that the model does work, regardless of the efficient market hypothesis, it does work, and it goes to two eight eight. What happens then? Will will people then front run the next cycle? Because for the next cycle, the model um, predicts a price that's far above uh, one million dollars uh, per per Bitcoin. So will investors then price that cycle in as well. Um, and, and the efficient market hypothesis says they will because the information is out there. We've seen that it works. And if everybody thinks it works, it would be the rational thing to do. <laughs> On the other hand, and and I don't know if... It, I had that same question when the price shot up after publishing the model in uh, 2019, but that that turned out to be too early because <laughs> price went yeah. down afterwards but we had that exam exact same discussion back then and just like back then i think we will not have a final cycle now um and we will not see front we will see some front running or some fomo if you will uh after 288 so the price will probably go much higher maybe to a half a million at the all-time high but um i think the other important aspect is risk, and and that was my counter argument at the time against the efficient market hypothesis uh, a critique as well, and I wrote an article about that. Um, yes, uh, the model is out there. Yes, all the information is out there, and um, it shouldn't be as easy as it seems to be now to make money. Just buy Bitcoin and follow the model and be rich. On the other hand, there is risks. In the, there's perceived risks and real risks in the market. I did a poll on that. Um, and the, the number one risk that people see is governments banning Bitcoin. And um, we see a lot of that, uh, of actions in that, in that 
direction. We see uh, the U.S. Treasury uh, Minister um, announcing draconian uh, laws over Christmas um, with a, a process that's that's not very democratic. So they're really trying to to, to kill it. Uh, and we see today Lagarde from the ECB uh, um, warning about about uh, regulation that has to be made against Bitcoin. Although regulation, of course, is not a ban, it 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 it's well, it could be good or bad, but it is a big risk, and people see it as a big risk. And we have um, governments have barely woken up to the to the possibility that Bitcoin could be. A one trillion, let's uh, let alone a ten trillion dollar market. So when that happens, they will move, and and uh, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. But it, it there is a risk, and another risk is quantum computing. Um, they could uh, break the uh, private public key uh, relationship. Uh, so all the experts say it's not possible, and it's not possible for at least ten years, uh, and 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 it may be. Um, adjustments to the software, et cetera. But still, it is a risk. And I think those risks, whether true or not, will will um, surface again, especially after the FOMO phase, after we hit the stock-to-flow target models and, and maybe beyond. There will be risks and there will be black swan events that, that make those risks uh, look very real and we will go down again. So I truly think that that will happen, and and also that that's another argument. Um, the human uh, nature, greed and fear, it, it, it will stay the same. So uh, yeah, we, we probably have FOMO. We will have FOMO once we uh, go up and go beyond hundred thousand, and uh, and we go too high because of uh, greed, and then some risk will will um, surface and and people will be so fearful uh and and they they think they uh, they estimate the risks too high and and price will go down so yeah i th- i think that that will stay the same that having said and that's the the third big topic this this whole discussion will will uh, touch uh it's the topic of hyper bitcoinization and that's uh well the uh all Bitcoiners know what it is, but it, it basically means that, that Bitcoin goes to the moon, that it will become a unit of account, and that maybe the dollar dies, um, and Bitcoin will be the thing that we all use to pay and, and to save uh, money. Uh, and yeah, yeah, when that happens, th- that would be the final cycle, but it would be more of a final cycle for the dollar, in my opinion, than... For Bitcoin, so it will be the moment that the dollar will end, or will, will yeah, will end uh, to exist as the global currency. And I don't think that will be this phase, the phase five, if you will, but the phase after phase five. So when Bitcoin um, will reach a market cap of well, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of real estate, let's say. A uh, hundred trillion uh, US dollars, and I, I I like that number for some reason. <laughs> oh yeah, I wonder why. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, it's uh, if we look at so just looking at the OG model, the S two F model, it seems to me that 
So the model, that model predicted price, so 100K for this round. And I think off the top of my head, I think it's something like 300,000 or so for the, for the next round in, uh, let's call it 2024 and the 2025 cycle. And then I think the 2028 halving and then potentially the 2029 bull run, I think it's predicting something in the millions. I mean, really, if we were going to talk about final cycle, I think to me, it makes more sense that 2029 might be the final cycle. But I mean, things can change. But I guess that's kind of that's, I guess, one way to look at it if you're just looking at the stock to flow model. Yes, I think, yeah, that's true. Uh, so it will be the next cycle after 2024, more in the 2026, 2028 uh, area. But then again, there will always be risk, greed and fear a total elimination of, of the cycle, I don't know. Hyper-Bitcoinization is, is a really, um, I don't know if it's a, it's a good thing or a bad thing to uh, to look at, but uh, it will be very interesting. And the front running also, I don't know. I'm, I mean, for sure, if, if, if we reach that 100, even the 100,000 level, people will think, whoa, okay, well, then it might go to a million. I better buy some. And well, maybe it goes down, but I'll wait, uh, I'll wait a couple of years. So it will be really, really interesting how that plays out how that dynamic goes uh, from here. Yeah, and I think having that regular stacking, dollar cost averaging or auto stacking group of people out there because those people are in some sense holding up the floor because after every dip, these are the people running in and or either they are manually buying the dip or their automated buys are kicking in and that's kind of in some sense raising the price floor over time. Yeah, yeah, true that. And and well, the DCRs are a lot of retail uh, investors, of course, maybe that's not a very not the biggest driver at the moment but also if you look at well the three big big buyers at the moment grayscale who buys every day more bitcoins than there are mined and paypal same thing cash app so those three buyers buy each alone every day more bitcoins than there are made so they have to bid the prices from people that hold them well as we've seen uh, most of the weak hands have already been shaken out by the volatility so the hands holding the bitcoin right now are stronger as ever i, I mean if i look at my own coins i'm not gonna sell never <laughs> ever yeah up to the next person whether he wants to sell but you don't get my coins and they will be harder to get and it's very funny i can see that in the um, on-chain data as well the shortage the fact that there's not much coins and i don't mean don't mean the the balances on the exchanges that are pretty uh tweeted about and looked at. I mean, really the on-chain data, it, it shows a pattern that is very consistent with the stock flow model and the four-year cycle. And it shows a shortage that, that's scary, actually. Yeah. Price has only one way to go, in my opinion. Yeah. And if you look at, uh, well, for example, my sponsor, Unchained Capital, they have some really interesting work, the HODL waves chart, yes. which gives you a nice indicator of, if you will, waves of HODLing and how long some people have been HODLing their coins coins, right? So, because there's people out there who've been hodling for, you know, multiple cycles at this point. Yeah. And so these are people who, I mean, I, I guess it's it's interesting, right? Because you make that point and it's a good point about how if you add across Grayscale and Cash App and PayPal and others, that's buying more than the amount of new coins created each day or issued, if you will, by the miners each day. But then I guess the other part of it is old hodlers, because eventually at some price, they might say, okay, I want to take some out and buy a house or buy a car and so on. Because obviously, yes, Bitcoin is going up, but I need to live. I need to look after my family 
family, I have living costs or whatever. And I guess maybe that will become a more of a dominating factor of just how many people are willing to offload, even if it's a small portion at, you know, aggregated across millions and millions of hodlers, that small portion can add up to a new amount of supply hitting the market in terms of the sale of Bitcoin. Yeah, I think that's a key thing you, you described there. And the hodl wave chart is is one that is uh, that has inspired me uh, since the very beginning to do on-chain analysis and look at the data. The hodl waves are really, if the listeners haven't, haven't don't know what we were talking about, Google it, uh, look it up in, in, in Twitter and find that chart. The hodl waves is basis is really an intriguing uh, way of looking at Bitcoin. I make the hodl charts uh, myself. If you have, a, if you run a full note, you have all the data. So it's, it's really, if, if you can do a little bit of programming in Python, you can make them uh, yourselves. And you can go a lot deeper than that as well. So um, for example, the UTXO uh, set, the total amount of uh, coins uh, in, in the transactions that are unspent out there, that the changes over time, uh, which is sort of the hodl waves uh, in, in one dimension, that gives yeah, a, a treasure of information about <laughs> about how, how those coins move, who is selling. And, and it's it's really unique to Bitcoin as well, because in bank data, you don't have that. You, you would have to have access to all the bank's databases. And with Bitcoin, you, you for the first time, you have that. So it's uh, like a heaven for, for quants and a heaven for uh, people that like to um, to make new economic theories about how, how this works, this uh, supply and demand game in, um, in Bitcoin. Right. And there are providers as well who do similar kinds of things. I know Coinmetrics do some related analysis and also uh, Glassnode. So I ha- uh, for listeners, I've got an episode with Raphael Schulte-Kraft. He's from Glassnode. He's the CTO. And we spoke a little bit about some of these statistics as well. And I guess one interesting one is looking at of all the unspent transaction outputs, you can look at how many of them are sitting in a profit and how many of them are sitting in a loss position and try to ascertain where the market is at from looking at those numbers. Look Looking more broadly at the the macro world of all of this, uh, what are some other, I guess, relevant factors to think about? I mean, every, well, it seems every six months we get some um, drama about Tether and, oh my God, Tether is not backed and so on. What's your thought on all of that? About Tether, I I, I don't think it's, it's, it's a, a relevant factor. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun. It, it, it's really a lot of fun and, and it's been there since I'm in in Bitcoin so uh, for years and years I've heard the the, the, the tether and it's at specific times right when the when the price is sort of uh, wobbly and and, and uh, there's a lot of uh, things going on so, such as with uh, regulation at the moment then all in a sudden you get like I, I get daily about 50 DMs in my Twitter of people, oh, how about Tether, how about Tether? They, ha- they they put their comments under each and every of my tweet. And my impression is that it's a uh, it's like an army of footsters that, that try to spin a story. And of course, it gets picked up by by people uh, without a brain. So it nah, it, <laughs> it, it's it's nothing. I find the um, there was a podcast. I don't know where it was, but with the uh, the two guys from Tether who were who, that was very good. It was re- last week. It was very good, and they explained how it works and and um, 
and why Tether is there because, uh, you know, the banking system is very slow. If, if, if I transfer money to the US or to Australia, it would easily take three days where if I want to park some Bitcoin money in cash in US dollars for a couple of hours, that then would not be possible. So yeah, you need a, a coin, synthetic dollar where you can park and, and, and unpark your, uh, your money that goes uh, way faster than the old slow traditional banking system. And I get it. And yeah, that's uh, of course the how, how much the tethers are backed by real dollars and, and other assets. That's a that's a, an important thing, and and more transparency can be given there by tether. But it's a very traditional uh, issue as well uh, with with having collateral against loans and future markets that are uh, fully collateralized every day. I guess for people who are not aware or not familiar with those collateral um, processes, that that it sounds very opaque. And mystique and is the stuff that you make uh, a lot of fud and um, conspiracies about but for me it's a non-issue back to the show after a message for the sponsors of the show cyphersafe.io they are producing the cypher wheel product so if you've invested in a bitcoin hardware wallet or you have a bip39 seed those 12 or 24 words make sure you've backed it up in a way that's fireproof waterproof rust proof pet proof and tamper evident look into the cypher wheel it comes in a wheel shape and it masks the words of your seed and it also comes with a padlock tamper evident seal so you can know if it has been opened. Make sure you or your loved ones have access to your bitcoins if an accident occurs. There's a range of products available on the website at cyphersafe.io and use the code LAVERA for a discount. Are you looking for ways to get multi-signature in a guided approach? Unchained Capital are building Bitcoin native financial services and they can help you achieve this. Their multi-signature vaults are easy to use. They're a web interface. You can get two hardware wallets and set them up on your own. But if you need help, they offer a concierge service. Now they offer this both in a personal context and also in a business context. So you can have concierge calls to walk you through configuring the devices. They'll send you the devices and they'll send you some Bitcoin to put in the vault also. And they'll educate you on each step in that process. Unchained offer a range of features such as advanced features for those of you using it for business accounts if you are moving to a corporate Bitcoin standard. So make sure you go and check them out. They're also a great option if you are looking for somewhere to store your keys in terms of your self-directed Bitcoin retirement accounts. So go to unchained-capital.com to find out more. Back to the show. Yeah, sure. And I think it's it's really interesting that a lot of people just, I guess people just latch on to an explanation and sometimes they can't find it in themselves to believe that Bitcoin is this genuinely new thing. It is a monetizing asset. It's not just like some little <laughs> tulip bubble thing and bubbles don't, you know, tulip bubbles don't last for 12 years and continually grow each time and have all this actual utility and networks growing around the people who really use it in the real world, right? Yeah. And maybe, maybe Stefan, it is easy for us having, uh, both having a background in, in banking and, and institutional investing. But um, I mean, what I've been seeing since 2008 and 2009, basically since, since Bitcoin was developed, since the global financial crisis, the, the amount of quantitative easing and the money being printed by central banks, what they have done last years is so overwhelming. So it's the only macroeconomic topic. It overarches everything. It's it's staggering really how much money is, has been printed and what it has been used for. And I've been in a position where I've dealt with central banks on a daily 
daily basis from a, a bank context with uh, Basel capital management requirements, uh, fr- from a, an insurance context with solvency requirements. And we've been we've been working, actually, we've been selling stuff to the central banks for years and years and years, and, and they buy everything. It, you know that famous scene in the, the big short where um, the crew is at a conference in Las Vegas about uh, mortgages and, and mortgage securities. At com- there's also conferences like that in Europe, uh, actually the same organizers. And the, at those conferences, everybody, the, the, the central banks are there as well, and everybody talks with and, and, and about the, uh, the central banks because they are the biggest buyer out there. They buy everything. They have unlimited budget. I think if you're in the trenches and deal with the central banks and with the quantitative easing, no matter how you call it, it can be a semantics game. Uh, it has been become a semantics game lately. But regardless of that, if you're in the trenches and doing this work, you see the the absolute staggering obscenity of it, if you will. It really reminds me of, uh, of Zimbabwe and, and Weimar Germany. It, it can't end well. Well, yeah, we'll we'll have to see, and <laughs> but but knowing the quantitative easing and how it works makes me a uh, it's very helpful in making me a big believer in Bitcoin. Yeah, I, I truly believe that. Yeah, and in terms of um, comparing this Bitcoin bull run versus other Bitcoin bull runs, and I know you've been charting them out and trying to show, okay, if you if this if this were sort of equivalized with a previous cycle, yes. Um, what would it look like? And we're sort of tracking in the middle of the two other halving cycles. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we had two earlier cycles, uh, which is not much, but we can uh, compare. Uh, so that was the 2017 cycle and the 2013 cycle. And they are quite different, actually. 2013 was, was of course, very early. And it was in a stage where mining was a big, big topic as well, because that was the, the the year also that ASIC chips, mining chips, so application-specific integrated circuits, so very specific mining chips were introduced and, and made the security of the network, well, like a million times uh, bigger. And everybody who had that chips had an advantage. So there was huge optimism and, well excitement about this step in in uh, this next step in the bitcoin history and price shot up from from i think it was a low of 2.2 and a half dollars average five dollars to first hundred dollars and then a thousand dollars within one year so that was really uh, yeah unimaginable uh, fast and and without much uh, uh, corrections in between as well there was been one big uh, correction, but uh, but then 2017, the mining technolo- technology was already was done. There was not well, there's a lot of improvement, but not like that big huge jump like in 2013. So the the new thing and the excitement was all about altcoins and ICOs and forks. Everybody was dreaming about tokenized world and and new coins and sort of fintech wave hit hit the markets and and that craze shot the price up from what was it 400 to 200 in the in at the low to uh well yeah 20,000 at at the high so that was also very very nice rise but it it had several corrections in between like 6 or 7 very different from uh, 2013 so it had it had six or seven corrections of about 30 percent in between in in that big rise and um, yeah so, so right now the big question is correction or no correction I guess part of the answer we we already have because we just had a big correction 
when the price shot up from 10 to 40,000 and then crashed to 30,000, uh, which is 25%, uh, minus 25% correction. But, but it's very, very, if you ask me, it's, it's very similar and maybe more similar to 2013 price-wise than 2017. So we might as well see not that much corrections uh, on our way up. And that is also compatible with the macro environment that we see at the moment. Uh, we talked about that uh, the quantitative easing has gone full throttle, of course, since uh, COVID. And more money has been made by central banks and will be made by central banks in the months to come than we have ever witnessed before. So that money has to go somewhere. I mean, that, that goes to banks, that goes to companies that are saved and would have otherwise uh, default. And all the people, all the managers, but also the employees of those companies, they can go on buying stuff, which is a good thing, of course, but it, it also keeps the econ economy going. And in, in that way, in a very real sense, the quantitative easy, easing money, the printed money, uh, enters the real economy and it enters the real economy at, at the top first of course so the managers get it first the politicians and uh, the people that are already rich so what what did they do with it they buy assets they buy a second house a third house uh, a street of houses as an investment object they buy gold they buy bitcoin part of that and and you can quantify that as well in a model but but yeah but part of that money will trickle down to, to assets and also to Bitcoin. So with the amount of money being printed, yeah, I, it's it's almost unimaginable that, that we go down from here or have very big corrections. And quite honestly, you can see that in the prices too. If there's the last three months, two months, three months, if there was a significant dip in the price, it got scooped up immediately by buyers. And, and Michael Saylor was very eloquent in, in, and very open in how he did it, right? How he bought his first 200 million and uh, the other 400 million and, 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 and the other buys since then. He does it very professionally with a lot of help with, with, uh, from, from uh, people that have the equipment and the access to the, uh, to the market. And they, they sort of move that money without moving the price too much in very small uh, tranches so yeah i have the feeling that every dip every time that the price goes down there is somebody with stronger hands that will uh say thank you very much for the coins they will now uh, end up in my wallet and they will go in deep cold storage never to be seen again uh, or or at least in the next 10 years so yeah i, I think we're witnessing that <laughs> right now and it feels more like 2013 and 2017 for me yeah, very interesting there. Um, and I guess as we are entering this whole phase five thinking, are there any other broader macro themes that you think are worth commenting on in terms of things like, you know, what other kinds of entities we might see entering the space? What kind of, you know, vigor will they be entering the space with? Will they be sort of very cautiously dipping their toe in or will they start to actually really... Um, you know, really dive in, uh, you know, uh, full, uh, you know, dive in in a more deep way to Bitcoin. Yeah, there are two things I'd like to say about that. And one is the um, the investors are, the institutional investors are really lining up now to uh, to buy Bitcoin. I've been invited almost weekly to join meetings with hedge funds, family offices, uh, banks, insurance companies to 
talk about Bitcoin to um, not only the stock to flow model, but the, just the whole Bitcoin thing and how, how you can buy it and how you can hatch it and how you can uh, can, can, can do it as an, how you, how you have to look at it as an, as an investor. So there's really a lot of demand from, from, uh, from investors. And one other thing that things that I, I find very interesting also for myself is the, um, the, the derivatives markets. So if you look at the futures market, for example, uh, you can now buy a Bitcoin for, say, what is it, $35,000, and you can sell it at the same time for a year later. You can future sell it for more. So for, I don't know what the price is, but 36000 So you get a certain uh, $1,000 uh, profit. You only have to wait for a year. And of course, you give up your upside and you also have no downside, so there's really less risk. Uh, but you, you really have to do, to know what you're doing. But anyway, if if you do it like that, it's it's a cash and carry strategy. You can make a twenty percent return uh, annualized, and that is that is the kind of returns that yeah, very that that that, that um, Warren Buffett and 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 famous hedge funds um, get, but but not banks or insurance companies, they'll be happy with uh, maybe 5%. So 20% on, in an easy trade like that is something that, that cannot be ignored and is seen by more and more people. And some people, well, put their toes in the water. And of course it works. So more people, it is too good to be true. And, and add to that a negative interest uh, rate environment that, uh, that I'm living in, in Europe, minus 0.6%. Uh, you can actually buy as is, uh, you can you can you can borrow money for 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 negative interest rates if you're an institutional investor but even as a as a private individual you can lend against your house for 1% or um, lend without collateral for 3% well if you use that money I, I, I'm not advising to do that I, I'm, I'm advising not to do that but for, for professional investors this is this is candy. That's that's this is this is too good to be true. And then, if we go, if we look at option markets, we see implied volatilities of over hundred percent, which which means there's call premiums from well forty fifty percent. So you can you can do uh, volatility harvesting uh, strategies, and which are very very profitable and and cannot be done on other asset markets. So the whole uh, derivatives markets and the relation between the spot markets, derivatives markets, futures, options, etc. Um, I'll be watching them like a hawk, uh, actually uh, participating in them. I see a lot of people entering those trades and looking at it. I think the prices, the future and option market prices will give us a lot of information about uh, about the future. So it's it's really interesting if those base rates in the future stay that high, if the implied vols in the option market stay that high and um yeah so that that's that's one thing that that cannot be denied anymore by the tr more traditional investors and that will be seen by more and more the other thing is not so much investing but more yeah society thing and and yeah i guess it's a very positive thing good money sound money is very important for humanity it's 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 good for trade it's good for specialization it's 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 good for capital allocation and allocation of scarce resources where do you invest where not uh, and to have sound money uh, a measure a unit of account that can be um, yeah counted upon that can be depended upon is very interesting and, and very important 
And we don't have that at the moment because central banks are printing the money at will. They're using it for political purposes. They're even weaponizing it. And it's like an architect that uses a measure uh, like the meter or an inch that changes every day. Imagine how a building like that looks uh, after the architects are finished. And that's our economy at the moment. So we're, we're building with a, a measure that has is, that is changed every day. And Bitcoin will, for the first time, uh, introduce a constant, and that is the 21 million coins. So there will, for the first time ever, be a constant in finance, uh, like there is a constant in um, in physics, like the, the the constant of light, the the, the speed of light, for example, well, in, in mathematics. And uh, so, and, and that is from an Austrian perspective. And I talk about this with uh, Safendine uh, lately. Uh, it could be very interesting. This this constant, and maybe with that comes a sort of predictability, uh, but at least a totally different kind of economy, uh, a separation of money and state. And uh, in my opinion, it will even unleash the next renaissance with science at the very heart of it, but also with art and and, and freedom and, and a totally different society than we have at the moment that is dominated by uh, governments and states. And this one will be more sovereign individual and 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 math and art based uh, so yeah that i find that a very hopeful perspective um and and that's maybe apart from the investing the main reason why i find bitcoin so very very interesting yeah there's certainly a lot of factors in there that really point to being bullish at this point in time and um some of the earlier points you were just making there like the cash and carry strategy now obviously for those of us who are more hardcore bitcoiner we wouldn't want to give up the upside of holding bitcoin but for somebody who's a little bit more trying to dip their toe in here this is an easy way for that kind of person to if so long as they have the right institutional setup to be able to achieve that kind of strategy um and i think the other point that you raised that's it's really interesting in terms of where the next um let's say the next big amount of demand or the next you know um, potential big markets for people who are going to come into bitcoin is this whole cost of carry which we're seeing in europe large uh people who have you know large amounts of um fiat money in their bank accounts are now starting to get charged for that and well, if we think from a cost of carry perspective, you can quite cheaply hold Bitcoin for a tiny, tiny fraction of the cost that the, the, these people are paying to hold fiat money in a bank account. So I think that is just going to really start driving home this cost of holding fiat, whereas historically it was free or you made money out of it. Oh, absolutely, and uh, and it's for example in Holland, it's not even small amounts. It's everything above twenty five thousand euros, you get negative interest. Uh, you have to pay. You don't get interest. You have to pay. And uh, <laughs> I can tell you, the moment that the that 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 happens, that that negative interest rate is uh, unleashed upon your uh, savings, then the demand for Bitcoin will will skyrocket. I saw it happening around me with friends and family. I saw it at work. I saw it in the whole country. Everybody is scrambling to to get his money out uh, out his negative interest rate uh, bullshit. It's it's really it's unimaginable what what that does psychologically and and of course uh, it it just eats your money away. Yeah, it's a very big injustice, and hopefully more people start to see that. And I think they they will see that over this next couple of years. 
Um, but I guess with all that said, it's probably a good point to wrap it up at this point. So uh, listeners, make sure you follow Plan B on Twitter at 100 trillion USD and find his website planbtc.com. Anywhere else you would like to point people or is that uh, essentially the main places to find you? Twitter is the main place. I do have a website with uh, it's it's planbtc.com and it has all the podcasts and articles. So the three articles I wrote. But Twitter is the main uh, the main thing. And uh, reach out uh, if you will. The DMs are open. Fantastic. Thank you for joining me again, Plan B, and hope to chat again soon. Thank you very much. So make sure you find my show at stefanlevera.com. Also, would appreciate any reviews you can leave me on platforms such as Apple iTunes or if you just share the show with your family and friends, make sure they are also learning about Bitcoin. Thanks. That's it from me. I'll see you guys in the Citadels.